Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. It's August 31st and we have some guests today. We have Alex Golubitsky and we have Dio who is back. And Dio actually asked a good question in our pre-show warm-up. And that was, uh, what was it again? I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you throw this one out. Yeah, like we had some discussions and uh, main questions like what, what if Satoshi Nakamoto had a compliance officer? How, how would uh, <laughs> Bitcoin have evolved with a lot of advice? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it wouldn't have, I don't think. I mean, I think that like, I mean, if you look at the history of it, right, like Bitcoin got to be Bitcoin because, you know, people treated it like a novelty for so long. And then by the time it was it was adopted the the, the cat was out of the bag <laughs> but but it's lightning in a bottle there's never going to be another bitcoin speaking of the cat being out of the bag and we'll get we'll get to the uh uniswap story here in a minute but uh we had the grayscale decision which came down on uh friday last week and that seems to be letting the cat out of the bag for institutions now there's nothing more that the sec can do to essentially like uh keep a a retail ETF, spot Bitcoin ETF uh, from hitting the market here soon. So it seems like we're about to see a, a shift. And I, Alex, what did you think of the language that was issued in that grayscale decision? I mean, this was a, a court made up of appointees from the Obama administration, the Trump administration, and I believe uh, Jimmy Carter as well, too. So it was quite a diverse cast of judges. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, two, two out of those three judges on that panel have specifically been talked about for positions on the Supreme Court, you know, Judge Brown, mm -hmm. Trini Bassett, you know, they're both, there is, it's a, to, to, to say it's a heavy hitter panel on, on a pellet circuit is, is kind of an understatement. Um, so yeah, it's a huge deal, right? That, that they, they said that the SEC decision um, to deny grayscale um, its, its ETF application was mm -hmm. arbitrary and capricious. Um, and not just that, but incoherent as well too. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know the the arbitrary and capricious is is critical um, because it's it, it refers to a specific specific legal standard, right? And and it's a very it's a legal standard. It's usually applied to the government, and and uh, it's it's difficult to like convince a court that the government has acted arbitrarily. <laughs> uh, and so the fact that that grayscale um, reached that bar. And, and, you know, reading the opinion, they, they reached that bar and it wasn't like a close call for the, for the, for the, for the DC circuit panel. They, you know, they were pretty emphatic that, that the SEC was arbitrary and capricious. And so, you know, I think it's, um, the only thing I caution is that from a, from a symbolic standpoint, it's huge. It's, it's tough to overestimate how significant it is because seeing a court, of this caliber slap the hand of the sec in such an emphatic fashion is is a tremendous signal um but in terms of the actual like practical reality of there being a um uh etfs that are made up of, of digital assets baskets of digital assets etc um we're, we're closer certainly uh but we're not procedurally what happened is the dc circuit has now sent this back to the sec to make a less stupid decision, right? But they still have to go through the process of making the decision. And of course, now the signal is up to BlackRock and Fidelity and, and whoever else 
uh, go ahead and file your, your ETF applications because the SEC has to take a different approach. And so, so I think we'll see a flood of them, but the SEC is still a powerful administrative organization and can slow walk applications, can do a lot of things. So don't expect there to be, you know, a grayscale or grayscale type uh, ETF um, anytime in like the immediate future. But we know now, what we know now is we will see them, right? It's, it's, it's just a question of when, not a question. Yeah. Well, they would have to, like, because they approve these futures market ETPs, which the price is based on the spot market. And the, the reason for the SEC rejecting these spot market ETFs was that the spot market was filled with fraud manipulation that they couldn't detect. But the, the futures prices have tracked the spot prices 99% of the time. Like it, it just, it tracks. So like if the, if the futures prices are tracking spot prices and, you know, they were approved based on whatever sort of uh, like data sharing agreements, surveillance agreements they had with uh, whatever parties they're using. Uh, the argument just didn't make sense to not approve a spot ETF. Well, it, yeah, and it didn't make sense from from the perspective of, of comparing it to other commodity based ETFs, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have, you know, I, I mean, like very notorious examples of, of precious metal markets or like nickel, you know, whatever. Uh, markets being manipulated in in like very impactful ways, and the SEC has never said, "Well, that's you can't have a you can't have an ETF that has nickel futures in it for that reason." Yeah. Well, my body is ready, ready for a <laughs> retail spot Bitcoin ETF, and I think for a lot of other people as well too. Ten years on, uh, the first ETF was filed ten years ago by the Winklevoss twins, and uh, hopefully we'll see adjudication and uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, but the big news and the reason why that you came on today is that yesterday Uniswap, uh, had a class action lawsuit thrown out of court by us district judge, Catherine Polk, uh, Fiala. And the judge ruled that, uh, the Uniswap software cannot be held accountable for user losses or third party damages. So the lawsuit had been filed in, in April 2022 by investors who claimed that Uniswap Labs and its founder, Hayden Adams, uh, facilitated rampant fraud on the DEX by allowing these scam tokens to essentially proliferate. So the plaintiffs alleged that Uniswap had offered and sold unregistered securities through the sa sale of scam tokens. Um, and in her ruling, uh, the judge dismissed the case, stating that it that, quote, it defies logic that a drafter of computer code underlying a particular software platform could be liable for a third parties misuse of that platform, end quote. And she also noted that the current state of cryptocurrency regulation leaves investors without recourse in case of fraud. Uh, Hayden called the ruling based and said that it was highly motivating to see U.S. courts hold up arguments I've deeply felt for years, end quote. Uh, he also pointed out that the court had declined to stretch federal securities laws, suggesting that such expansions are the domain of Congress. Ha. <laughs> I think this is something that we'll touch on. Uh, so the ruling is significant for the DeFi community uh, as it's going to establish precedent for how code developers uh, cannot be held responsible or liable for the when they publish code that other people use to defraud or, or scam people. And it also sets the a high bar for plaintiffs who seek to bring uh, securities fraud cases against DeFi platforms. So pretty, pretty significant. Uh, what were your first thoughts, Alex? Yeah, I mean, so, so first of all, it's amazing that we now have a actual legal definition of a scam token. <laughs> I 
that's that's pretty cool. It's like uh, your honor. We actually call those shit coins, but we'll we'll take scam token. Um, and and uh, so so you know, but I think that well, I mean the context of this case, right? Because it's not at first blush. It's the, in terms of the litigants involved. It's actually not that significant because there's two private parties and they were going to face problems no matter what. But this particular judge, whose name I, I don't know how to pronounce either, um, uh, is also the judge in the Coinbase versus SEC lawsuit. So her, she really telegraphed a lot in this opinion about her general take on the idea that um, tokens are de facto securities or commodities. She said, we just don't know. And, and moreover, she said, we need to know that we need Congress to tell us like what category these assets fit in. And um, I, I, to me, that telegraphs a lot to what's going to happen in the Coinbase case, because the SEC is not Congress. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and so I think that she's going to be very skeptical of the SEC coming in and saying about Coinbase, well, look, they're an exchange because they list all these tokens that are securities because we, the SEC, decided that they're securities. Um, and so I think that that... But uh, is there... Go ahead, Jack. Is there an argument that could cut the other direction where they're trying to throw one team, uh, like, uh, gimme, and then, like, throw the other team a gimme? Sure, of course. I mean, and they're two separate cases, right? And, and judges like to be consistent, but they don't have to be consistent. So she could easily... Um, something could happen in the Coinbase case that could cause her to have a contrary ruling. You know, it's just it's just one data point, as 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 they say. And uh, and, and no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, strictly speaking, we analyze the impact of this case on that on only that case and, and only that case's merits. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, it was critically um, the lawsuit by these plaintiffs was brought on the basis of securities law violations, right? So, so on the basis that Uniswap was being able to, was being used to market uh, unregistered securities. And, and the, the, those securities specifically were these scam tokens. Uh, yeah, so just to look at the ruling, uh, so she said that issuers who create ERC-20 tokens are known as developers. Each of them theoretically could register their tokens with the SEC, but such registrations are few as Congress and the courts have yet to make a definitive determination as to whether such tokens constitute securities, commodities, or something else. Yeah, I mean, I mean, pretty straightforward. And and the other thing that I thought was nice, very um, unique about this opinion, which I also think portends um, well for the for the Coinbase litigation, is that this judge really went out of her way to grapple with the the technical underpinnings of how liquidity pools work, how ERC-20 tokens work, um, and, and, and that type of thing, which we just have not seen very many courts do in token-related litigation in the U.S. We, we, we're much more likely to see courts be a little bit hand-wavy about the, uh, the, what, what the tokens actually represent and how they function. Um, and, you know, I mean, one other thing that was very interesting to me uh, in, in this judge's opinion, which I think would probably fall in the category of dicta, but, you know, it's still an interesting uh, uh, commentary from, 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 from her, is that she really got into um, what, how liquidity pools function 
from the 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 view of, of of U.S. law, right? And so there's there's a there's a section in the opinion, I believe, where she talks about how when somebody contributes tokens to a liquidity pool, um, they still fundamentally own those tokens that are in the pool, and and I think that's quite significant um, because there's a compelling argument that. Uh, when you contribute tokens to a liquidity pool, what you've actually done is you've exchanged those tokens for the liquidity pool NFT that you get um, upon deposit. And that, that new token that you have is a new S asset that's separate and apart from, from the tokens that you contributed to the LP. And I don't know that, um, it's certainly not definitive, like her commentary on, on that's what US law is, but, um, it's almost like an opening salvo in the discussion. And I think it's an important discussion to have. Yeah. So just to, so just to bring up that, that part of the, uh, the ruling, uh, she says, focusing next on LPs, the court observes that they deposit their token pairs into a given pool and are issued LP tokens in return. But just because the pool then holds the initial pair of tokens does not mean that the pool somehow holds title to them especially as applied to software developers and uni token holders, who at most can issue new versions and contracts, but not assume title. Yeah, that's critical. I mean, that's really critical um, because it also, what she's getting at there, and I think is the, 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 what's significant to her opinion that she's getting at is the, the, the idea that like, if we all contribute tokens to an LP, we're not, from the, from the view of this judge, we're not all in um, a partnership together, for example, or any type of joint venture. And I think that was an open issue from the perspective of, of U.S. law, which would be, if that is ultimately where U.S. law goes, which I don't think it will, that would be very detrimental, right? If you're all of a sudden construed to be in business with every other person who's contributed to the ETH USDC liquidity pool or something along those lines, you know? Can, can I, I don't know if you can answer this question, but if the idea that you control these tokens and there's not a swap that takes place when you deposit your tokens into the LP, um, would, would you be able to speculate on how that would affect like tax law for Uniswap LPs? Yeah, it's it, well, so it's a really uh, a salient issue for tax, actually. And I, and I don't. And so to, to put it out the front, there's nothing in this district court decision that's going to bind the Treasury Department of the IRS one way or the other as to how to, uh, mm -hmm. to treat to treat that transaction for tax purposes. But assuming that this view um, holds for tax purposes, it's it's actually uh, incredibly important, right? Because I think that the uh, traditional, to the extent there is traditional views about crypto taxation, uh, the traditional view has been that when you deposit, for example, your ETH and USDC into the ETH USDC pool, you have a disposition of your ETH, right? Because you, you, you exchanged one token and you got another token back, which means that if you're, you know, if you've been holding your ETH since 2018 or whatever, and then you deposit it into the pool, uh, you have a huge gain recognition event, right? Because you're, it's gone up 100x instead or whatever, and all that's treated as taxable gain even though all you got in return, you actually lost USDC in that sense from a liquidity standpoint, because it's now in the pool. And all you have is this, uh, this uh, new LP token. Uh, so that, that's quite critical uh, from a tax standpoint. 
And then, you know, the other, uh, there's actually, and this gets a little bit technical, but the extent to which um, participating in an L, in a liquidity pool constitutes a trader business is, and, and, you know, so like, if you, if you then, if you're, let me take a step back, if you treat the contribution of tokens to a liquidity pool and the receipt of your LP token in return as signifying, for example, like uh, a joint venture, right? Where you're, where the liquidity pool is a business and, and you know, have an interest in that business. Um, that treatment causes uh, you to have, if you're a non-US person, you to have um, taxable income in the US if there's an argument that the business of the liquidity pool is happening in the US. And so potentially, if this logic in this, in this opinion is adopted for tax purposes, it could tremendously limit the reach of the IRS uh, to tax internationally uh, different transactions in, well, specifically LP transactions. In, um, in 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 crypto, which which would be a big deal, but again, I think we're a couple of years um, we're a couple of years off from getting um, any kind of uh, real concrete guidance from the IRS on uh, on that type of thing. And well, just to expand, just to expand, whiplash here. Hold on, just to just to expand this point out before we move on. So the the idea that when you deposit tokens, so you, when you swap ETH to WETH, right? This would be the most simplest case, right? That we could start with if we're going to go down this slippery slope. When I swap ETH to WETH, uh, I, I'm not actually like disposing or disposing of my ETH, right? I'm just swapping it. Yeah, that's unclear. I would say that is unclear in tax law, right? And right. so when I say that, a bunch of people like their jaws hit the floor, right? Because that sounds like absolute insanity, right? If I send my ETH to the to to the WETH contract and I get WETH back. Um, how the hell have I incurred? I don't have a game, right? right? I just, I have the exact same thing I had before when I used the contract. But like, and, and actually, um, it's so really if you take a house, if you take a house and you put a legal contract around it, it doesn't incur a taxable event, right? Right, right, right. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to like find any like analogous thing where you can just make some very minor change to an asset and consider it to be a complete uh, disposition of the asset. But so now I guess the next step would be like, if we start with WETH and then we say, that's crazy, right? Now we go to like depositing ETH into Aave and getting back AETH or compound ETH where it's a intrasparent or it's, it's it, it, it returns some sort of income, but you're not, you're not disposed of that uh, ETH. You can pull it back typically at any time. And then from there, the next step would be to go to like LSDs. Right, LSDs would be kind of be the, the final point saying like, when I deposit my ETH and get back STEF or R ETH or StakeFrax ETH, like I'm not disposing of my original ETH, I'm just getting back a wrapper contract, which is doing other operations on the back end. Yeah, I, I, I think you could even extrapolate it more broadly, right? Because you could actually say that this phenomenon is present in any ERC, uh, sorry, any like 4626 type contract, right? Where, where you're using any type of like, where I contribute an asset to a smart contract and in exchange, I get some type of receipt token, right? Which is fundamentally like always exchangeable for the underlying asset. And then, but you can have, as you, as, as you all know, like 4626 uh, uh, type smart contracts can be very complex. 
and you can have a lot that goes into all you can have a lot or you can have a little that goes under the hood right like weth is like a, an extreme example of like it's what like 160 lines of code or something like that it's very basic like what weth represents but you can have i think you know lsds represent more to the other side of the spectrum where, where there's actually a lot that's happening that, that under the hood, so to speak, of, uh, in this wrapper contract. And so I, I, this is, I think, one of the most critical issues actually in taxation of digital assets and crypto specifically in the US is when do we look through these wrappers and when do we not look through these wrappers? Because if you look at the black letter of the guidance the IRS has put out um, up to this point, uh, well, especially the, the prop regs that came out last week as well, um, last Friday, the, um, uh, the, 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 the IRS has really said, well, when you change one token for another token, it's a disposition and it doesn't really matter what token A and token B are. As long as you get a token B instead of your token A, you dispose of token A and this is taxable event. But I think that what the Treasury Department is slowly coming around to is this standard is completely unworkable. Like if I, if, you know, look, if I exchange WETH for USDC, okay, clearly I have a disposition there, right? That, that seems undebatable that I've, I've, I've sold my WETH and I now have this sort of other fungible asset that represents a dollar. It makes sense to pay tax on that. But mo we're now getting to the point in, especially with DeFi, where most transactions don't look like that, right? Most transactions are not actually that straightforward. And, and you are exchanging a token that represents perhaps some static store of value for a token that represents something dynamic that's, that's happening. And then the Treasury Department, I feel like still has not, even with the new prop rates, still has not answered the question of how do we analyze that dynamic activity that's happening under the hood of, of a wrap contract? Do we look through it? Or do we just treat it as like a separate thing and all those gains get taxed on disposition? And part, maybe from a taxpayer standpoint, I want the simple view, right? Because like, if I have a, if, if I have a vault token, right? If I have a uh, receipt token and there's something happening in that vault that's like generating a lot of gain, but I don't actually have to recognize that gain until I send my uh, receipt token back for my original tokens, that's actually beneficial to the taxpayer because you now have tax deferral. Um, and I don't think the IRS wants that. I don't think the IRS wants, if they do want that, like phenomenal, like I let me design your tax deferral tokens then, but I don't think the world is that simple. Could you comment on like the broader playing field? Last time we talked to you, it was super bearish because of the treasury stuff this week. It's super bullish. Like which, which ways do you think it's going to play out when all these things get jammed together? Uh... I, I, I'm still net bearish, man, because like, I don't, I don't think that the SEC is the final boss, you know, to, 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 to use the, the, the video game term, right? Like the SEC has been, and to the CFTC to a more limited extent, a tremendous pain in the ass um, for the, uh, uh, for, for digital assets. And, you know, uh, there are a lot of problems with, with them, but like, even if we get the SEC kind of under control and they keep getting their hands slapped in court, the final boss for, for, for crypto regulation is, is taxation and more saliently, I think, money laundering regulations. Like we, we don't have an answer yet 
in the digital economy for how we can accommodate the Bank Secrecy Act. And, um, and, and you know, the, the, I think we were talking about like the OFAC litigation and everything the last time I was on. And uh, yeah, I think that, that I think we're going to keep taking L's on that front and it's going to get increasingly harder to do the business that we do because of it. Well, the, since the last time that we spoke, Treasury and the IRS did come out with some guidance that supposedly is going to come into effect in 2025, uh, which in a broad sense, uh, they essentially told everybody, if you can implement KYC, you have to. Yeah. If, you're, if you run a front end, you have to have some sort of KYC AML protections. If you are a DAO, you can be held liable if you don't do this. If you are a uh, MEV searcher and you're not excluding USIPs from your uh, block building, you could also be held liable as well too. Like the 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 list of e even like EtherScan, EtherScan providing a website where you can read transactions and potentially write uh, transactions to the to the network also is going to have to uh, implement KYC and MetaMask as well too. I mean, honestly, the the scope of the KYC AML implementation here would be just incredible. Yeah, I, and uh, I got I got a hop here, so so I got to go. But <laughs> I want to come back on soon to talk about these prop regs because there's just a ton there. I mean, yeah. I finally had time to read them. They're like 300 pages. Right? Oh, wow! <laughs> I, I finally had time to read them and 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 can probably and I'd love to have a conversation with you guys about it. But it's uh, a little a little too broad for a soundbite, so we'll have to do it another day. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks so much for coming on. We'll respect your time and uh, we'll move on to some other news. Thanks, Alex, for awesome. being here. Thanks, Alex. Bye. So that was great to get an update on the Uniswap case. It's always nice to have an actual lawyer here uh, who can provide some legal analysis instead of us who just you know put our couch legal hats on and fire off some speculative ideas and opinions about things. I think common law is still the best form of law, probably, you know? Like, yeah, if it, I think that's what I, the beauty about crypto. Like, if, if we design a better system, right? So, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's basically us, right? But yeah, and then the question is, are we actually designing a better system? I don't know, but I think so. But I hope so. Yeah, it's a big uh, problems a lot of times, right? Because there's so many scams, so many people that write on hard work of. Sometimes, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I try to be a good person, right? But it's like we're trying to do, do something open, having open finance, open infrastructure, etc. And then, unfortunately, there's a lot of scams that just ride on, on, that, on that wagon or just general JPEG scams or something. Of course, those things are not good. But at the same time, uh, I think it's good to have just an open market. It's like when people, you know, how many free open markets are there still in the world i think not that many so not that many it's one yeah well let's get on to some happier news uh curve deployed on base didn't they garrett this is a fun and, one uh, i know i saw the yields it was pretty insane so i thought it was a bug at first but it turns out <laughs> it's accurate um so basically there's i won't get into the intricacies of like how it works but basically mitch uh inadvertently gave a full week's worth of rewards uh, that was, instead of being distributed over the course of a week, distributed over the course of three hours. Uh, as a result, you saw uh, million percent APYs. 
And it sparked this huge gold rush where within minutes, about $6 million of liquidity flowed into these pools. Um, these pools became incredibly imbalanced because users didn't really care what tokens they were putting in. Uh, they were putting in like, uh, they th it was like two hops to put Bitcoin into the tri-crypto pool. So like, it just was like super imbalanced. And then like, oh. this led to a second wave of traders trying to arbitrate this. Um, so it was just complete and utter madness. After three hours, though, it wore off, but the uh, TVLs kept going up. Uh, so Curve is already up to above um, above 11 million as of this morning, TVL on base, which is you know putting it closer to the uh, kind of top of the uh, base TVL leaderboards, which means like, you know, there's a fat fingered accident by Michael, but it turned out to inadvertently be a good marketing strategy. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy, actually, that... Uh... <laughs> that the, the way that it happened it just kind of appeared didn't it i no no notifications or anything i just saw it on twitter um and uh so in other news we also have uh, circle and coinbase who announced that native usdc is going to launch on uh, base this week uh and here's the curve pools actually so right now you can still get if you have crv usd tbtc you can still make 200 percent with fully boosted yeah, but on on base here's what you would have seen uh, last night though you would have seen not bad oh wow <laughs> look at that oh wow I love and it's this. it's accurate as it turns out it, like if but you know these apys are variable and in order for this api to sustain itself it would require mitch depositing 150k curve every three hours for the next year wow have there been any discussions about uh like multi-chain issuance of CRV USD? Uh, there's been some, um, but at the moment, I think the thing to remember is that like one of the reasons that Curve doesn't have a major cross-chain presence is because like historically it's like tried in some chains and kind of ignored some other chains, but it's a very small amount of Curve's like TVL and trading activity. So the second biggest TVL chain for Curve by um, would be Arbitrum where it's uh, about 1% of Curve's overall TBL. Like Curve is primarily focused on mainnet because that's where all the liquidity is. And yeah. Uh, that being said, yeah. like, uh, you know, the base chain, uh, the launch I think was a bit more successful. There's a lot of TBL there. Uh, base, like as a chain, I'm super bullish on because like, you know, Coinbase has barely started tapping into the, the millions of users that it has on the Coinbase like web app. Um, so once Coinbase starts pushing that, and you could imagine it like trying to push people to some of the like successful apps on their like friend tech, you could just imagine that like there's just going to be a constant stream of users, a constant stream of liquidity coming into it. Um, so I'm pretty bullish on base as a chain. And I think that we're going to see some uh, big stuff coming there. Yeah. And so yesterday, Brian Armstrong actually came out and uh, published a post where he said he's sharing 10 ideas on the things that he's most excited about. This is a video that he pushed out. And uh, there was a blog post as well, too, where uh, he essentially went into uh, these 10 ideas. And uh, you can see a picture here. I can't make it bigger, but I'll, I'll read them out, right? Um, let's see. So he's looking for, <clears throat> what does he got? Uh, a flat coin is does one of them. Does he not know about Frax? Apparently not. Well, I bet they want it built with like USDC products. So like, or like USDC and then the the treasury support that they have. Um, let's see if I can make this a little bit bigger. There we go. Okay. Oh no, it's gonna rug me. Okay, maybe I can't do that. <laughs> uh, on chain reputation. Yeah. So on chain reputation with DID. 
I was digital identity verification, uh, on-chain AdWords, uh, AngelList and Stripe Atlas for crypto, job task marketplace, a privacy layer for L2s, uh, P2P exchange, fully on-chain, on-chain games, uh, tokenizing RWAs, network states, and anything else. So, like, so obviously doesn't I'll, know about I'll, the llamas either. Yeah, exactly. I'll run this around to you guys. Like, which of these ten ideas or topics or themes uh, do you find most interesting in this post? Yeah, so I do really think he hit the nail on the head. Like, I'm uh, of course joking about like the fracks and the llamas. Um, you know, we all are big fans of Brian Armstrong and everything that he's doing. Um, so, like, this is like pretty squarely in the like the target zone. When I look at this, and I keep saying we're so early. Like all these represent substantial opportunities that no one's people are just starting to kind of bite off. But they all have been tried, right? All of, all of these concepts have been tried. It's just the timing, I guess, of the market. Yeah, like most everything in crypto, if you've been around long enough, was tried five years ago when there was no one using it. Um, but you know, the thing that's gonna change at some point is there will be more users, there will be more like easier onboarding, and someone's gonna try something that failed five years ago that's gonna work today. What I miss in this obvious DeFi, DeFi, like more easier, user-friendly DeFi. So I, I don't really see a lot of financial use cases or maybe. I'm... Yeah, I think DeFi is becoming a dirty word uh, just because there's so many like scams and casino games in DeFi. I, I, I think the vast majority me... of people don't even know the, the world is out there, you know, like most people don't even know about it yet. Uh, let me just push back and say that maybe the design space for DeFi is, is less than the design space in other fields. So I disagree. I think there's a whole field of things you can make for DeFi that's not there yet. But. Sure. I mean, we don't, have a, we don't have a robust and complex derivative space. But when you talk about like money markets and swaps and pretty much all the basic things that like retail is going to use, like Coinbase retail is going to use, like... Mm -hmm. Do they really need to have a thousand X perpetual exchange based on, you know, Uniswap LPs providing their capital so that people can trade with, right? Like <clears throat> these sorts of things I think are a little bit beyond the scope of what Coinbase is trying to do. They want, they want more functional products that get paired with uh, Coinbase itself. I think Coinbase like wants to leverage its current tech stack uh, so that they can help projects be integrated into Coinbase, right? So they talk about like on-chain reputation. I think that that would be taking the KYC layer that that Coinbase already has and the ability to uh, like designate wallets that have gone through the Coinbase KYC process as you know having certain features on-chain that could interact with certain apps uh, and be whitelisted somehow. Uh, to some degree. Flatcoin, yeah. Oh yeah, to some degree, Coinbase is also playing a PR game, right? Like they're doing a lot of lobbying in DC, and they want things that play, you know, show that blockchain has real use cases that are kind of like PR friendly, and oftentimes are like Ponzi games and casino games aren't worth it. Yeah, I question some of these, like on-chain AdWords. I don't particularly. Oh, can anyone? I think I'm I'm bullish on that. I used to work at a startup yeah. that did. Um, that did uh, advertising technology. That's a huge use case, I think, for not not mainnet, but like a side chain. What to like advertise to people in Web three somehow? Not or so much I, advertising, I but just 
like you know, you know how like there was like the inventory supply chain potential use case of blockchain where you could like have a like a really like robust tracking of like supply chains like adwords mm -hmm. inventory and like confirming impressions and writing the impressions data like that's a huge problem yeah it would need something like solana like style throughput to be able to like handle like adwords inventory tracking that's a huge yeah base potentially base is yeah. so cheap uh what about like an angelus stripe atlas for crypto like capital formation i mean we we've seen maybe like ico craze like uh you know we're, we're in kind of a gitcoin but gitcoin's very like public goods yeah, yeah. i think he wants to, he wants to have like a like a angel list that helps people register their ideas in each country filing paperwork as a dow and then helps them raise money as well too so like have a pitch deck essentially like uh bring the capital formation into a decentralized venue hmm. so, yeah, I, I i i maybe yeah i, I definitely think there's a <clears throat> I, I think uh, on-chain mmas uh, are also a really big thing uh, mergers and acquisitions where you can kind of close off certain information reveal certain information not even from a financial point of view but also just from a blockchain use case point of view where you like hide and show information based on certain criteria yeah i do like i do like that he highlighted p2p transfers because we've seen a a noticeable decline in in p2p transactions globally uh, a lot of the markets have been shut down um what was the the bitcoin p2p market like local bitcoins like pretty much pretty much gone at this point like there's not really great ways to do p2p transfers unless you're outside the united states and and they have these you know exchanges set up right like just doesn't exist there's the an age address uh, there's something there's there's i think it's there's more Asia, of it, yeah. it's a bit underground but it's it's uh, a lot i can easily yeah i can you can easily do whatever with crypto in asia yeah, I mean, this is like this is where Binance and OKX made their mark in Asia was was setting up these P2P markets because you can't actually transfer fund. You can't like transfer. I can't make purchases of crypto, but I can do a P2P transfer and then just make a, you know, use use one of the like Alipay or something to send somebody money for the crypto. Right. Yeah, um, it happens a lot here, uh, many places. Yeah, so we'll see how the. I mean, there was there was quite a good feedback on the Twitter post of people dropping links and other stuff uh, that I would recommend. If you're more interested in seeing some of the examples of what people had thought up or had been building with already, uh, last in our Coinbase roundup for today, uh, Coinbase may introduce PYUSD, which is PayPal's USD, uh, as well as other crypto exchanges potentially today, August thirty first. Uh, contingent on liquidity conditions. What What do you mean? Oh, there's not enough liquidity for PUSD. No, I mean like the PYUSD has not really. It, it like before. I mean, where Where do you get PayPal USD? I have no idea. <laughs> exactly. How do you even mint it? Yeah, you you I don't know. There's a new curve pool that uh, rumor has it Frax is going to be um, uh, incentivizing. I yeah. Went, I, yeah, I saw that actually. It's a tri pool. It's a frax based pool, PYUSD pool, and it had like a hundred bucks in it. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely needs the incentive. I don't but, trust uh, the 
I lost uh, pay- I lost money on PayPal twice, so I don't really trust PayPal USD to be honest. I don't like I, I prefer Frax. <laughs> I think a lot of people do, uh, but in other states, oh, here it is. Yeah. So, wait, how much is it right now? Like two thousand dollars? <laughs> yeah, about two thousand bucks. So the incentives could really do some good work. Where do people even get it? I mean, that's the thing. What do you think about those pool, the the A value here? It seems a thousand for for the PYUSD. That's not really a good setup. I guess they expect a lot of volatility in the. Shouldn't it be like lower? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Or is it that like when the LP is forming that they would keep a higher A value, and then once it has significant, uh, like capital formation, and and size, yeah. then they could lower the A value. I think so, probably. I guess because um, they expect it might be redeemable. Uh, so I don't actually know who <laughs> launched it. It could also just be that somebody launched it through the factory and didn't know what they were doing. It happens every yeah. now and then. <laughs> Uh, and in other stablecoin news, Binance will be phasing out support for BUSD stablecoin by February 2024. The decision comes after Paxos, the company that issues BUSD, was ordered by NYDFS, NY Department, New York, New York Department of Financial Services, NYDFS, to stop issuing new BUSD tokens. Uh, Binance has said that it will continue to support BUSD redemptions until February 2024 but it's no longer going to list the stablecoin on its, on its exchange or provide any services related to BUSD. And they're telling people to move to a new stablecoin called, I believe, FDUSD. What's different about uh, that one? Why is that one going to be uh, different? Did they uh, share anything? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's it's mainly just that FUSD is issued by First Digital, and that it doesn't have the overhang of this this you know suit that was brought against it by the SEC. Um, you know, BUSD would, like issuance was paused; they were no longer able to grow the stablecoin anymore, so they had to switch to something else. Hmm. I, I don't trust also the Binance ETH or the Coinbase ETH, right? Like uh, it's too centralized. We need more decentralized uh, liquid derivatives. So. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it comes and goes, comes and goes, especially with Binance, right? Can we get a four, Garrett? <laughs> what, what is that? I don't even understand that reference for. I don't, I don't yeah, I don't get it either. He just came up with it one day. Uh, maybe somebody has a backstory. There we go. Okay, so we got some. I think it yeah, comes back to like at some point he'd po- CZ had posted a list of like things he was going to focus on in the new year, and like four was like number four on the list was like not ignoring things that are irrelevant. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like that meme where it's like uh, have problem, ignore problem, don't have problem. Exactly. Okay, let's talk about problems for MakerDAO. Uh, And yeah, so, you know, they recently had this SI, or sorry, their their DSR through Spark, where deposits were getting 8%, right? And this led to like a surge in deposited supplies. People were like flocking to the DAI stablecoin in search of high yields. Um, But it, it really caused like 
a split in the community just a day or two after the uh, the new DSR went live, the new rates went live. Rune was already out there saying that they made a mistake and that they needed to lower the yields and it was unsustainable and that was going to lead to potential risks for die in the long term. And uh, so there's an ongoing debate in the community right now about what should be done with the DSR. I, um, I don't really understand the issue because they could just make a step function, right? Say, oh, it's 8% now, and if more comes in... That... Well, they lowered it. They lowered it to 5, right? But why don't they do that algorithmically, uh, like normal? Uh, so at first, the 8% was completely dependent on TVL, uh, but yeah. I think that they saw that most people that were using it were like ETH whales who were just depositing Steth into Aave and then borrowing USDC at like one or 2% and then depositing that into the DSR and, and capturing like a 5% spread. Of course. But what do they expect it? Uh, they thought yeah. It was, yeah. So it's... paper, paper Imperium, who is a uh, former MakerDAO insider, uh, but still is is quite, you know, quite up to date on the politics, said that it just brought in whales to bleed the coffers by borrowing at less than the die savings rate. And, um, you know, it's it's just unsustainable. Even even Rune said it was unsustainable. So it's questionable about what's going to happen there. The, the end game plan is going to be the end game. The end game is going to take effect very soon. Uh, there was like an Unchained podcast from Rune. I listened to it, and uh, I like I like Rune a lot, and I think he is onto something. But now it's all about execution, so it's it's going to be very exciting. Uh, what's uh, going to happen? Oh, I make it our token pumps. So yeah, so the market um, likes it. Market does like it. We should get we we should have Paper Imperium on or or Boris on. Um, I'll reach out to them and see if we can get a a, a MakerDAO show. Uh, hey guys, guess this. <laughs> this is kind of crazy. Honestly, this is the craziest story of the day. So <clears throat> I didn't know this, but the only canonical or canonical deployment of Uniswap V2 is on Ethereum mainnet. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Like for how far V2 has proliferated in the thousands of copycat exchanges. Uh, Uniswap never got around to making V2 multi-chain. And so they're finally putting up a temperature check to deploy Uniswap V2 on all chains with V3 already enabled. Seems like a capital. So when you use, uh, so when you use uh, Uniswap on, uh, uh, on Arbitrum, for example, or uh, Optimism, like who deployed it then? Uh, I'm not exactly sure if if it's probably it's probably like the same contract, but it it's questionable who actually actually this is it. So anybody can deploy the Uniswap contract, but it's not it's not actually deployed by the um, the Uniswap router, right? Um, and so wow. this is you this is where you like run into issues where some like. We talked about that story two weeks ago where somebody had quietly deployed Uniswap contract on base, but they had chained, they had turned the fee switch on and they had set the fee switch to an EOA that they controlled. 
That's uh, creative. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that Unis like looking back here, Uniswap kind of dropped the ball on this. They could have deployed V2, seeing how popular it was to like every single chain back in 2021 and been ahead of the pack. Uh, like Curve was, right? You know, Curve obviously moved, is still an incumbent and moves slow, but still has been able to deploy uh, natively to every chain almost that, that uh, has like decent liquidity. The counterpoint to that, I guess, would be that, like, as I said earlier, Curve gets like very little activity in terms of trading volume and TVL on these side chains. And like Uniswap is winning in so many metrics. Like, why would they change? Like, who are we to give them advice when what they're doing is working? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's comment on this uh, because, anyways, uh, like just speculation and armchair stuff. I do want to talk about Bitcoin today because a project called, let me bring this up. Uh, where did it go? I'm still waiting for the BTC Maxi and the uh, debate. Well, I think it's going to come, right? So here's an interesting story. This one actually perked my eye today. This is Stroom Network. It's a funny little name. Uh, Stroom Network raises $3.5 million to launch Bitcoin liquid staking on Lightning. Uh, so the idea here is that uh, Lightning has a yield. So if you open state channels, and maintain them on Lightning, uh, you're going to earn a yield. You'll, you know, it's small, but there is a yield. And I believe there is some other implementation on Lightning that would allow for this LSD issuance. And so what they can do is create a LSD style token for Bitcoin on Ethereum, uh, where the WBTC or whatever sort of Bitcoin equivalent that's provided would go to uh, increase state channel liquidity on Lightning. How would that liquidity move over? I don't get that. That's a good question. I don't actually know. Uh, but it is quite a big round, right? Like three and a half million for this, especially for like a Bitcoin project as well, too. Well, you will be surprised. I know a couple of people that are uh, building on Bitcoin stuff. And uh, there's a lot of VCs that only finance Bitcoin startups that apparently uh, mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's really interesting. I mean, I think this could be one of the ways that a lot of like Ethereum people come back to Bitcoin, right? Like if I can earn a yield, even if it's like one to two, three percent natively uh, by putting my Bitcoin into a lightning channel, that might be enough to bring in significant liquidity. So right now on lightning, there's, I believe, 5,000 BTC worth of, uh, of liquidity. Um, well, let's mm. check DeFi Llama to see what the stats are right now. Uh, so there's $126 million of liquidity locked, and that's 4,666 Bitcoin. And it's actually taken a hit recently. So if we look at the, uh, the past year for 2023, uh, it's pretty much flat. So it started the year... 3,860 Bitcoin, and now it's up to 4,620 Bitcoin. So like an 800 BTC yeah. increase, which honestly isn't that much comparatively to how it's much TVL there is in, in yeah. DeFi. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's nothing. WBTC uh, on Ethereum. Yeah. Imagine what? Bitcoin hodlers that just hodl their Bitcoin. Why would they not put it in a Lightning channel? Because it's technically, I think it's technically not as easy. You know, I think it's maybe even staking ETH is the same or maybe even easier than uh, selling up your Lightning node or something like that. Mm -hmm. and I, yeah. yeah so uh, he, here's a it, here's uh, a recent Ethereum user mm -hmm. experience is bad bitcoin exper user experience is way worse <laughs> yeah uh, so another fair point <laughs> uh i i'd like to know actually what the the base rate for uh lightning yields are right like how much do you actually make running a, a lightning node uh I see here, this is a recent story from uh, Coindesk that talks about how Magma, which is a trying to create this like liner, which is like a LIBOR, LIBOR uh, but for Bitcoin. Uh, they said that that yields for providing lightning uh, into these state channels is like two to three percent. So these are self-custodial yields. But then you need to run your own nodes, right? Well, you got to run it. You got to run channels. You yeah, run but if channel. you not run your own channel, it's just custodial staking, basically. And then if the other person like, closes their channel, they can just steal your money. Uh, no, no, that's not how state. I mean, that's not how state channels work. Um, a I, lightning I node, right, or state channel? I don't. Okay. No, a lightning node is a lightning node opens up state channels. So you essentially like have to open channels to other nodes, uh, and essentially create uh, okay. these. Yeah, but in order to each run your own, you need to run your own lightning nodes, right? In order to open. Right, channel. right, right. Um, but I think it's, I think it's, I think it's something. I mean, there has. It's like the lightning is the only way to get um, native yield in Bitcoin. Elsewise, you have to get WBTC and bring it over to ETH. I've been a or Bitcoin myself uh, in the past. Uh, when Ethereum was not out yet. So like uh, I've been hearing about Lightning for a very long time and I'm not very, uh, I just don't, I don't, I don't see it. Uh, working. Well, I mean, I think that the, um, you know, it's, it, it, from a, from a payments perspective, it kind of makes sense, right? Because you can make one set transfers instantaneously uh, in this very secure environment. The only thing is that like using lightning is not very it's it's built for uh actual like uh, have you ever made a lightning transaction <laughs> yeah i made uh, I, I tried it in the beginning and failed a lot of times uh, and I, I kept trying and now i'm uh have this lightning wallet on my phone i'm playing a game and i earned some bitcoin and then i can send it around but the problem is a lot of the lightning wallets are custodial wallets so there was a whole discussion about the tornado cash and the Bitcoiners were like, oh, the technology on Bitcoin is much better than, the tornado, than on Ethereum, blah, blah, blah. But all, a lot of things on Bitcoin are all uh, custodial. So, yeah. Well, I think that the, if you, like, if you're using it as a, like a, a store, let's say you run a store, an actual coffee shop, right? And you're selling coffee and people want to pay with Bitcoin. Lightning Network actually isn't that bad, right? Because... Uh, the way that it works is that you want to buy something and the store generates a QR code and you like scan it with cash app or whatever sort of at like Bitcoin lightning enabled wallet sure. that you have. And then you can complete the transaction. 
but the whole the whole infrastructure is centralized. So the thing is, if Lightning ever will take off, they need to decentralize their infrastructure more and more. So you have Lightning is, is fine. You have Bitcoin. But the Lightning channels, you could make a technical argument. But then a lot of the infrastructure above that with the wallets, a lot of it is custodial. So then mm -hmm. if there's mass adoption, let's say, then the government would just come in and just will kill it or regulate it. And then they have to have full control, right? So I think... I, I mean, you, it's not how... I don't think you can do that with Lightning. Uh, lightning is like pretty much mutable and... Um, you know, well, versus... custodial wallets. There's a lot of custodial wallets. Uh, yeah, but you can run a non-custodial Lightning wallet. I mean, it's yeah. it's relatively simple, right? Okay. And even even Coinbase supports Lightning. Coinbase and Binance support Lightning now. So, um, if if there ever was a case for Lightning to work out, then this is the time. Like, I I th I actually like Lightning. I think it's cool. I I would love to see if it got actual adoption. But people like stable coins better. They like the idea of having like an account-based transaction system where you, you know, even though it's less secure, uh, you it makes it, it, the the user experience is different for it. We need to know how much everything is in dollars. We count dollars. We don't count satoshis, and we don't count uh, you know anything else. You know, so uh, that's the stablecoin uh, case is so strong. Because of this simple fact that uh, nothing like uh, getting uh, like something like something you can relate to to how much you can uh, buy with and uh, do stuff with uh, it's just uh, it keeps the dollar uh, very strong. So this is a screenshot from Amboss's uh, Twitter, just showing the yields for Lightning over the past like year, and it looks like the the yield is you know like two to three percent. Uh, at times, it's I'm not sure why it goes transactions, which are like minimal, though, right? Two to yeah. three percent of I mean, lightning I mean, transactions. There's actually, I mean, there's a lot of lightning transactions actually. Like it, the the primary use case for lightning really is to uh, transfer Bitcoin between exchanges, because it offers net. Now that there is no uh, Silvergate Exchange Network, where you know Silvergate was providing this service where you could instantaneously settle dollars between any crypto exchange pretty much that's got shut down and there's no real replacement for it uh lightning kind of has been able to take some of that market share not all of it right because people want to settle in usd but the, the ability to instantaneously swap btc uh rapidly right especially if you're a trader back and forth uh is is like positive for the space so I wouldn't get too down on it. Uh, Very confused. Uh, I need to do a deeper dive on Lightning. Any information? Uh, where, where, where should we go to speed up on the <clears throat> development of Lightning? You know, it's just out there. There's, there's like, supposedly there's uh, stable coins that are coming to Lightning at some point. So last year, uh, we had the announcement of Taro, which was going to enable multi-asset Bitcoin and Lightning support. And uh, this is essentially just means like stable coins on Lightning, which would totally change what Lightning can provide. Because I think a lot of the feedback that you saw when when the whole El Salvador thing took place, when they made it a, uh, uh, what is it called? Um, yeah, exactly it, my point. It's it, all centralized. centralized well, no, no, no. They made it, they made it like a... Uh, and it, 
an acceptable oh, i can't remember the name um the the currency where it's like a, a, one of the currencies that has to be accepted everywhere right inside of el salvador okay. and they they quickly found that like people didn't really want bitcoin exposure they wanted dollar exposure and so after that the lightning people and i believe it's talked about here in in this blog uh they essentially yeah so last year brought an explosion of growth to like latin america west africa uh and all these different places right <clears throat> so they found that adding stablecoin assets to lightning would expand financial access to their communities people don't want to hold bitcoin they want to hold dollars uh, because they think in dollars because it's the global currency and so what they're working on for lightning now is this taro upgrade uh, which would essentially allow for both dollar state channels and for bitcoin state channels so you could have like a much wider uh, type of network that could settle both in bitcoin and uh, in dollars which is honestly pretty cool and and using lightning for what it is it'd be I, like I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this come out uh, and there's also a bunch of other stuff I mean like at, at its core lightning is a is a really uh, interesting network that nobody uses on a day-to-day -day basis but uh, if if we did use it it would make sense because like transactions are instantaneous and cost one sat like it's it's pretty it's pretty cool like it's cheaper than anything that we have in in defi land <clears throat> even transacting on base wheels would be a bicycle <clears throat> i know even transacting on base is more expensive or solana or make the, the, what about uh, zero knowledge proofs right if you have zk proofs networks that i think that's cheaper than lightning theoretically no right? it's not so if we look at uh crypto fees.info we can they actually have like l2 fees uh and if we bring this up, and we can see the current L2 fees. So uh, Loopring is cheapest at three cents, but to swap tokens back and forth, 43 cents. Optimism is a is a six cent six cent uh, like fee yeah. for sen sending uh, ETH, and then 11 cents to swap tokens. So uh, with with Lightning again, it's like one sat or two sats uh, depending on. What the network is but i think and, the problem i mean I'm, I'm a fan of lightning also but i think the problem is that there's no demand and if there was a ton of demand like if say there started to be like an array of bitcoin stable coins launching and being traded demand would go up to the point where the fees become competitive and it would just uh i think you'll get see things level out uh i yeah and i think that demand is really hampered by just the the shitty ux and the kind of i like once you show somebody how to do a lightning transaction that kind of like clicks in their head but the fact that like the person that you're sending money to has to like issue you a, a receipt first before you can actually send them any any funds it's kind of backwards for a lot of people like i said it works for like like transactions where you have a fixed cost item that you want to buy like a coffee or you want to make a buy a t-shirt or something right like it, it makes a lot of sense then because like if you think about going to amazon you you go to amazon you pick all the items that you want out and then you you ask for a receipt and the receipt tells you how much you need to settle the bill for. And then once that's done, you could just pay, right? And then it's done. Like once you pay with your credit card, you've settled the bill. But in, in DeFi land, like you essentially get somebody's wallet address. And then you, the user, have to determine how much money you're going to send to the person. Um, and so, you know, this opens up the, the security space where, okay, hey, you could be like, you know, you could send the wrong amount. You could send add an extra zero and send, you know, two million instead of two hundred thousand or something, right? 
which happens a lot, <laughs> more than more than it should. Hmm. So, I guess that's enough lightning in Bitcoin chat for today. Uh, everybody's here for DeFi, but uh, lightning is still DeFi, and uh, we'll wrap it up on that. Was actually good. Was quite was quite refreshing to uh, hear you guys uh, speak about uh, lightning. Definitely not something we talk about, and uh, nice to see your perspective on it. Yeah. So I want to thank everybody. Dio, you especially for being here. Of course, guys. Awesome. Also, Alex G for showing up. Uh, it's like the bat signal. Anytime like something legal and big happens, he like shows up, like Batman, to kind of run us through the educational uh, legalese of what's happening. So that's going to wrap it up. Definitely great. Big G, DeFi Advisor, thank you so much. We'll see you and everybody else that's tuning in tomorrow. Peace. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye, folks. Bye.